Is this on? Can you hear in the back? Okay. I want to thank you for, uh, for being present, and I hope that you'll be with us tomorrow night. There are some handouts of the notes that's coming along, and I really had no idea how many of these notes to run off. So if you uh, do not get a copy and you'd love to have a copy, I'll be glad to email those to you, and we'll make those available on the website. Uh, tonight we're going to be looking at Jonah. Tomorrow night we'll be looking at Moses, and we will be uh, going along the curriculum that's been selected for uh, the children's classes as well. What's? I'm not turned on. Don't don't sound like you don't have it high enough or something. Sounded good. Bob said it sounded good to him. Okay. All right. We're good. All right. Thank you, Wayne. Tonight, we are looking, actually, the, all four of these lessons, uh, I've, I'm tying them together with the focus on God. And so tonight, we're going to look at Jonah, and we'll talk about God, the commanding God. And if you will, there's a number of verses that will be references referencing in the book of Jonah, and you're welcome to open your Bible to that, but there'll also be a number of other Bible verses that we'll be uh, discussing as well. Jonah, and, and incidentally, those of you I hope that uh, are not motion sick, Johnny added this uh, little water for us, so <clears throat> he said it's nothing real fast, but a lot of times the motion sickness comes with a slow roll, so uh, I hope that doesn't bother you. But now, Jonah is a really interesting book of the Old Testament. In fact, I had studied Jonah for a number of years, and, and the most important thing about Jonah that seemed to always come up foremost is that of the big fish. But the thing we need to understand that Jonah is not the story of a big fish, and too many people have tried to restrict the discussion in the book of Jonah to that of the big fish. And they want to debate whether it was a fish or a whale or a sea monster. And, and I have read article after article and, and just reams of paper on this. And it, at the end, it really doesn't matter, does it? Because the story is not a story about a fish. In fact, the story of Jonah... Uh, is about a man that struggled with God, his concept of God. And his concept of God was totally different than the real God in heaven. And that's the story of Jonah. The same thing about Habakkuk. Habakkuk, wonderful discussion on the character of God. And, and Habakkuk dealt with perplexity after perplexity, wondering why. In fact, he's called the philosophical uh, prophet because he often would dare to ask God why. But oftentimes we get, we get sidetracked, and I think that has to do with the devil a lot of times trying to take us off message and cause us to consider uh, these endless uh, questions that Timothy or Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, 6 through 7 are fruitless discussions. And so, let me begin at the very first, talking about this big fish, and all that we can say about it is what is given to us in the book of Jonah, 
and that it was some type of a sea creature. And this has been translated in a number of ways in the, the various translations of the Scriptures. The bottom line about this big fish is what God tells us in Deuteronomy 29, 29. <coughs> that is, that the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our sons forever. And so let's look at what's revealed in the book of Jonah, and we'll see that it is a revelation about the Almighty God. The focus is on God. And if you've never read Jonah looking at the book as a teaching about the character of God, I encourage you to do that. The character of God is revealed in the book of Jonah in a number of ways. He is seen as compassionate, accepting, forgiving. His thoughts, motives, and emotions are significantly different than what mortals often want to attribute those to God. And the story of Jonah actually turns upside down a number of mortals and their concept about God. And Jonah is one of these. And the problem that we find in Jonah is not the problem of God, but it's the problem of the person Jonah. Jonah had come face to face with a God that was too uncomfortable for him to accept. He didn't want to accept this God. Now, the interesting thing is Jonah was a prophet of this God. And Jonah really is a, a tragic comedy in a number of ways, especially chapter 4, uh, whenever Jonah tries to debate God as far as the justification of his anger. But Jonah didn't want to accept that God, and often today there are many people that don't want to accept the God of the Bible. They want to accept a God that is more manageable in their concept and their understanding. And whenever that plastic God doesn't become a reality to them, then they sulk and they're upset and they're angry with God, and you have the conversation that Jonah did with God in Jonah chapter 4. It's a tragic commentary on, on man and his uh, propensity to want to manage God instead of being managed by God. We want to whittle God into a manageable deity that we can take and pull out whenever it's convenient for us. And whenever it's not convenient, then life becomes very upsetting. And we see that this is the case of Jonah. The thesis of the book of Jonah is found in chapter 4 and verse 11, where the Lord looks at Jonah and he says, Don't I have the right to care for these people? Should I not care for these people? Should I not show compassion? Should I not listen to the voices that are, are crying out in repentance? And in chapter 4, basically, God in his conversation with Jonah is begging mankind to look at who the, the God Almighty is and to accept that as reality and then conform to that. Be managed by God. Don't try to manage God is the message that we're finding in the book of Jonah and how hard that message is for us, isn't it? We just don't want to accept that. We want to think that somehow God is going to, 
to uh, minutely manage everything in our lives so that there's no inconveniences and there's no problems and, and no situations that, that come up and cause us problems. <clears throat> That's not real life, is it? Real life is that we're living here in a sinful world that's, that's been polluted and, and controlled by the devil, and we're just pilgrims passing through here. As we'll see in tomorrow's lesson, uh, we're in that wilderness period, and Moses tomorrow is going to give us keys to survival as we're in this period of wandering in the sinful world. But one thing that we find in the book of Jonah, while we're in this situation, we have access and we have help to the Almighty God in heaven, and we need to understand that. Consistently, mankind, like Jonah, fails to understand and accept and submit to the Lord God that Jonah was talking about in his prophecy. And what a powerful and practical lesson that is. The book of Jonah causes us to sit back and seriously question ourselves as to, do we really believe in God? And, and what do we believe in God? And how strong is that belief in God? Are we listening to what God tells us to do? Now, there's an interesting point. We need, don't miss this point. Because the people who needed to accept this lesson were not pagans. The people that needed to understand who this God was, not those in Nineveh, although they needed that badly, but it was the people of God that Jonah represented. They need to understand, or they needed to understand who God was. These people gathered for worship. They called on the holy name, and yet they did not understand the Lord God Almighty. And we see that lack of understanding in the person of Noah. And that leads us to a very unsettling question as we start the study tonight. How well do we understand God? How well do we know God? Do I view the Lord God Almighty as Jonah? And in, in reality, do I not really understand God as he's tried to communicate and reveal himself to me? Have I tried to whittle the Lord God Almighty into a deity that's convenient and comfortable in my religious practice? Well, that's what we're going to talk about tonight in the book of Jonah. A powerful lesson. The focus of the book of Jonah is on the greatness of God's commanding authority. And think about that. God's commanding authority. Who commands you in your life? What is the supreme authority to which you look for guidance and direction in your life? It ought to be the Lord God Almighty. And that's what Jonah, Jonah would have said that verbally, but when it comes down to reality, Jonah 1, 1 through 3, the Lord says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, wait a minute, I didn't sign on for this. This isn't what I want to do. And so are we more like Jonah than we want to accept? Instead of dedication and commitment and acceptance of the reality of, of God's commanding authority in our life, are we more content to talk about the fish story in the book of Jonah? 
That's not nearly as uncomfortable, is it? Especially since we can focus all on Jonah and forget the application to ourselves. Well, the lesson communicated is simple, and it's an unwanted lesson that we must obey God or there's a price that we're going to have to pay. Obedience to God's commands are not optional. And we live in a society and a culture today that says we set our own standard. We're the, the authority for what we do. Not so in the book of Jonah and not so in the teaching of the, the Bible itself. That kind of anarchy leads only to chaos and confusion and strife. No knowledge of God. Well, God's commandments are not suggestions. God's commandments cannot be altered, and God's commandments cannot be ignored. That's what Jonah teaches us. Much more than a fish story, isn't it? Well, there's great joy as we talk about a basic principle of life. If you really want to be happy in life, here's what you do. You take the Bible, and you read, and you study, and you obey it, and you follow God's law. That is going to give you happiness. And there's a number of passages that talk about that. Galatians 5, 22, the fruits of the Spirit is that of joy. Deuteronomy 16, 15, there Moses says, so that you will be altogether joyful. And in context, he's talking about their obedience to God. Nehemiah 8:10 says that we will find the joy of the Lord to be our strength. Psalm 21, 6, the Bible says you make him joyful with gladness in his presence. Obedience to God is, is the key to joy. Well, the reverse, if you disobey God, you're not going to be happy. You're not going to find joy. And you may try to lean upon all that the world has to offer that promises you joy. But in the end, all the world does is just suck every bit of energy and joy and emotion out of you. And you lose everything. Lamentations was written as jo uh, uh, Jeremiah sat on the hilltop watching the captives file away into exile to Babylon. Lamentations 5.15, there Jeremiah says, the joy of our hearts has ceased. Well, why is that? Because they did not obey God. Jonah was commanded to do, but as you look in your notes, he did not. Well, he's not the exception. Unfortunately, he's more the rule. Because Jeremiah gave the message to Israel, Jeremiah 8, uh, 11 and verse 8, from the Lord, he said, I commanded them to do and they did not. Well, as we, we look at these things, we need to understand the simple fact of the book of Jonah. God said, if you do not obey me and you do not follow my will, it's going to cost you. And we're going to lose, not just a little, we're going to lose a great amount. The Lord had the question, he says, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What price are you willing to sell your soul for? What's your soul worth? Well, the world be eager to strike a bargain with you. But the book of Jonah says, whatever bargain you strike, it's not going to be enough because it's going to cost you in the long run. There are many good people who really love the Lord, but they don't want to do what God asked them to do, and they're always saying no to God. 
and it's a dangerous situation. To know what God expects us to do, what God commands us to do, what God desires for us to do, and then disobey Him sets you up for total failure, and it's utter folly. Well, let's look at the book of Jonah. As we we look quickly, I want to go through the narrative. I think most of us are familiar with it. Four Four chapters. In the, uh, the book of Jonah, uh, a fi- familiar outline says chapter 1 is God running away. Chapter 2, uh, Jonah running away from God. Chapter 2, Jonah running with God. Chapter 3, or chapter, well, I forgot, is in my mind. <laughs> I'll come back to that. Rob, you remember what those four are? <laughs> you ought to know that, brother. Okay, so we'll go back. I'll come back to that, but it's a sort of, Real simple outline, Bob. I ought to know what that is. Do you remember what it is? Hey, Bob's like me. Okay, well, some of you uh, younger brains, we're going to need your help in this. But let's, let's look at this. Four chapters, a very short book, but it's powerful, chock full of information. Chapter 1, God appears to Jonah. He says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Well, that was a command that no Israelite would want to hear because that was their sworn enemy. And they did not want any good thing to happen at Nineveh at all. And to think that you're going to send the word of God to Nineveh and cry out against their wickedness so that they'll repent. Jonah wasn't very happy with that. And so chapter 2, you find Jonah, chapter 1, he ran away from God. He said, no God, this isn't going to happen. I will not be a party of it. He leaves, goes toward Tarsus, furthest uh, point from where he is supposed to go. So the great storm comes. The, the big fish is created by God. Jonah's thrown overboard. And chapter 2, you have Jonah in the, the belly of the great fish. And you see that he prays for deliverance. And what a wonderful chapter that is in the Bible. Uh, you read through that, and in that prayer, Jonah exclaims, He heard me. God heard me. And for those who have been called in the depths and despair of sin to realize that God hears them is one of the greatest blessings that they'll have. And so, chapter 3, Jonah again, <clears throat> he goes uh, and, and uh, he, he hears the call. The second call, command is given to him. He goes, he preaches in Nineveh, abbreviated to be sure, the shortest sermon in the Bible. And he didn't go very far into Nineveh, but he he did what he had to do in order to fulfill the command that was given him. And then in chapter 4, the Bible says it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. Jonah refused to obey the commands of God. And so in chapter 4, you have, you, you really have just the complete exposure of what happens whenever somebody has the attitude that Jonah did about it. So let's look real quick at what it cost Jonah uh, to disobey God. Whenever the commanding God gives you an order, He gives you a command. He wants you to follow his... What happens when you say, nope, I don't want to do that? Well, let's look real quick. 
Number one, he lost the safety of the presence of God. Two incredible statements are made by Jonah in chapter 1. Uh, chapter 1 and verse 3, the Bible says there that, that Jonah really thought that he would be able to flee to Tarsus away from the presence of the Lord. Now, that's amazing. One of the, the attributes of God is His omnipresence. He's everywhere. And the psalmist points that out. He said, there's nowhere you can go, no place you can be, and God is not. And here's the prophet of God trying to leave. He says, I'm going to leave the presence of the Lord. And then those on the ship, once they understood who Jonah was and the God that Jonah served, then they were afraid and they said, why have you done this? They said, the Bible says, the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord. Well, Jonah, what kind of Lord are you serving? Well, he preached to Lord that these heathens on the ship understood you can't run away from him. And yet that's what Jonah was doing. It is possible for a person to become so selfish that they no longer want to obey the Word of God. They know what it says. They read what is written there, and yet they just decide they're not going to do it. And they are stubborn in their resistance. They say no to God very clearly. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 talks about those individuals whose mind is blinded by the God of this world, talking about the devil. They're more content, comfortable to serve the devil than they are to serve the Lord. Deuteronomy 32, 28, there the Bible says they are a nation lacking in counsel. Why? Because they've said no to God. And Hebrews 4, 4 through 6 describes those who once were Christians, tasted of the, the heavenly blessings that God gives, and then fell away. It is impossible to restore them again into repentance. Why? Because they're saying no to God. And it's impossible to renew them to repent. They don't want to serve God. And this is exactly where Jonah was. He had deliberately disobeyed God's command. He knew what God wanted him to do. He understood. He had, he had taught God, but he chose not to obey God. And the amazing thing to me in chapter 1 is that Jonah evidently actually thought that he could flee from the presence of God. Unbelievable. I, I just can't, I can't understand that. Well, a person can lose the presence and the power of God in their lives and, and intentionally disobey God. They move away from God. They're no longer in fellow. And we see this with the case of King Saul in 1 Samuel 16, 14, the Spirit of the Lord departed from him. And remember Samson? As soon as Samson had his head shaved, he arose, but he was not strong because the Bible says in Judges 16, 20, he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. How sad that is. Whenever a person believes they're with God and they're in the presence of God, but because of their disobedience, saying, no, I'm not going to do this, they're no longer in the presence of God. That's what it's going to cost you. Number two, it's going to cost you the security of being in the place of God. Now, this is an interesting point. 
And, and I'm not sure all the points are important, but this one I think uh, is, is, to me, one that's highlighted above all. God has a place for each of us. We'll see that in the Bible in just a moment. But security is found in doing what God says to do and being where God says to be. There, there, you can know that you ought to do something and you ought not to be in that place. But if you go and you're in that place, there's a disconnect between your knowing and your doing. And you're going to be very uh, insecure in that. Open to all kinds of dangers. If that's true here, it's true spiritually. There must not be a disconnect in your mind from knowing what God wants you to do and being where God wants you to be. <clears throat> Jonah illustrates that uh, it's not going to work if you try to disassociate yourself in that way. In order to be secure, you must do what God says. Jonah says, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to go somewhere else. Jonah knew the place where God wanted him to be, Nineveh. But Jonah refused to choose to be in that place, and so God was saying, or Jonah was saying, God's directions and commandments were not that important. His feelings were more important than that. You must be where God says that you ought to be. Have you ever thought, that God has commands about where you are to be in life. Now think about that. And you begin to see how practical this story of the prophet is. Forget the fish. Look at this point. Have you ever thought that God has commands about where you are to be in life? Turn over to 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 18. As Paul's writing to the brethren there in Corinth... The Bible says this, God has placed the members, each of them, in the body just as he desired. Now you think about that. Study on that. God has placed members of the congregation in the congregation just as he desired. In the context, Paul is talking about the functioning of the local congregation. There are those individuals that are placed in the congregation who have the abilities and talents to function in ways that others do not. And so don't divide the church over who's more important and less important, and that's the whole thrust of 1 Corinthians 12. And the point that I want to emphasize is that God wants you in the congregation, and He has a place for you in the congregation, and you need to be involved in that particular place. God has placed the members, each one of them. Look at that. Isn't that amazing? Each one, God doesn't just look at a congregational membership and in, in, in general sense only look at those that are in the, the spotlighted positions. God has placed each one of them, each one of them, every one of us. That means you. God has you in mind. God has placed you in the congregation. And so we come to a very sobering question here. Are you exactly where God wants you to be? Is it possible that you know you ought not to be where you are, but you've rationalized and justified your disobedience to God? 
interesting point in uh, Hebrews eleven twenty four. There the Bible speaks about Moses, and he refused to be called the, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And there he had his position in the temple. He had his position of royalty. He had his priorities and, and amazing uh, what he had. He turned his back on that. Why? Because by faith he knew that he was not where God wanted him to be. Now, tomorrow night, later on in the desert, Moses begins to wonder about those plans. <laughs> he begins to think, well, maybe Pharaoh's household wasn't that bad after all, after you put up with all these nagging, whining people out here. But, but at this point, in Hebrews 11, we're told Moses, he chose ill treatment, and he chose to serve God in the place that God wanted him to be. Now, in living, we must be where God wants us to be, not only in the church. And in the church, each one of us have a place and a position. We have an ability. We have a, Don't let someone else do what you can do. You do it. And if they can do it, that's great. Join with them and do it even more. But look outside of the church. God has a place where you ought to be. And just look at this list. God has a place where you ought to be in morality. <clears throat> God says it does matter. Ethics matter. Morals matter. Sin matters. God has a place for you in morality. He has a place for you in relationships. He has a place for you in recreational activities, in business ethics, in marriage, in religion, and you can just continue on the, the list. The point is, when you know the place that God wants you to be, don't go to Tarsus. Don't say, no, God, that's not for me. That may be for somebody else. Don't say no to God, but you understand the place that God wants you to be. God wants us to be with him in the place where he commands, and God sets the requirements. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, opens the door, I will come in. Well, it's up to us. We have to accept, we have to obey and do what God says. The place where God commands us to be in life is to be a part of the body of Christ, the church of Christ, a part of that temple that we read about in Ephesians 2, 22, where we are all builded together as a dwelling of God in the Spirit. As we think about this, look at these points. God does care where mankind is in life. I've talked to some folks that were so beat and bruised by the world, they said, nobody cares. Nobody cares. No, that's not right. God cares. If God could care about that reluctant prophet in the belly of that great fish at the bottom of whatever ocean it was that they happened to be in at that time, God cares. God does care if we're in the place where he has commanded. God cares what you are doing in life with your life. He cares about that. And God does not look nonchalantly at what we do and where we are. He's not going to wink at things that we do wrong. He's not going to turn his head whenever we are deliberately disobedient to him. Jonah tells us this is not the way God works. 
God cares where you are and what you're doing. This is why he sent a storm into Jonah's life. This is why he had the great fish prepared. This is why he brings chastening, as Hebrews 12 says, into our lives. Have you lost the presence of God? Are you where God wants you to be? Look at this point. A common comment that I hear, and I'm sure you have too. I'm at a good place in my life. I'm where I want to be. Wrong question. Wrong question. The right question is this. Am I at the place in life that God commands me to be? This is Jonah. On his way to Tarsus, he finds, I mean, he's leaving God, he's going to Tarsus. He finds a ship going to Tarsus, the very place. He says, man, I'm at a good point in my life. Look how everything is turning out. Wrong question, Jonah. And you and I today, we may be motorboating along and thinking that we're just doing the best that we ought to be, and life is so good and happy. We're asking the wrong question. Am I at the place in life that God commands me to be? And that's a powerful, powerful question. Sometimes the place where God wants you to be is not convenient, it's not comfortable. You ask Esther, Queen Esther. Oh, she she was in the position where God wanted her to be. Boy, was she challenged at that point. What about Jesus in Gethsemane? What about Christ, as we heard uh, in the, uh, the thoughts this morning at the Lord's table, giving up, emptying himself as he came to earth? Wasn't convenient or comfortable, and yet he did that. What gives man the privilege to criticize and reject God's place for him so that he can be comfortable and find life convenient? If you're going to run from all the problems and inconveniences in this life, I can assure you that you're going to be in constant motion. There's got to be a way to deal with those discomforts and those inconveniences. Jonah tells us the way it is. Well, let's look at the next point. uh, Well, here's, here's a point. Have you ever thought it was treasonous to look at the place God wants you to be and exclaim, if only I was somewhere else, or I did not sign on for this? I will forever remember whenever we, we began Desert Storm, and you had the reserves being called up, there was this one reservist that said, I'm not going. And they began asking, well, why? And they said, well, I didn't sign up to fight in a war. They're part of, part of the army, but they didn't sign up to fight in the war. Well, I signed up. I was told I could see the world, and I signed up because I could get college education. I didn't sign up to fight a war. Jonah signed up as a prophet of God, and yet he said, I didn't sign up for this. The Assyrians, the Ninevites, why in the world would I want to be a part of that? It's treason. Whenever an individual begins questioning God's commands, it's treasonous, and it it needs to be treated in a very serious way. Another point, real quick. Uh, Whenever you, 
deliberately disobey the commandments of God, then you are giving up the satisfaction of God's peace. You look at the response that Jonah got in his preaching in Nineveh. I mean, the whole city turned to him. He had a response. You talk about, uh, about you know, gospel meeting responses. Everybody in the city turned, even the, the, the royalty turned to him, and, and they wanted God to say, they listened to what he was saying. He was the most successful man, and that ought to have given him the greatest happiness. But instead, you look in chapter 4, and there he's moaning and groaning, and, and he's begging God to kill him. He says, it's useless. It's you. He just came off of a fantastic preaching event. No peace and no satisfaction in his life at all. Problem is, Jonah had an attitude problem. And that attitude problem surfaced whenever he first said no to God. And now it becomes even more pronounced in his life. And often, whenever an individual starts saying no to God, you watch because that progression is going to take place. And they become more stubborn and more resistant to God and more dissatisfied with life. And they will not find happiness. That's just common. You know folks like that. You've seen it. Uh, and, and it's just a fact of life. Whenever you begin saying no to God, that's not the stopping of it. That's the starting of a process that's going to bring great ruin into your life. So don't say no to God. And that's the point that Jonah wants us to understand. And what we find in Jonah in chapter 4, here is a man full of resentment. He's bitter. He's angry at God. Why? <clears throat> Go back to chapter 1. He didn't obey God. He said no to God. If you want a life full of anger and bitterness and, and ill content, if you don't want to be happy at all, then all you got to do is very simple. You say no to God, and you turn away from God. Now, this narrative of Jonah ends with an unanswered question. What happens at the end of chapter 4? What happened? What was the response? You look there, and there's a series of questions, give and take, that, that are given. What happened? Did Jonah ever repent? Did he ever feel bad? Well, as, as most folks, I think that it's left unanswered so that you and I can, can give the answer to it as well. Each Christian is expected to finish the answer with their life. So how do you finish the book of Jonah? How do you end that book? The absence of joy in Jonah's life illustrates a basic requirement of Christianity, and that is obedience. If you want to be happy, then you have to obey God. <clears throat> Can't put it off. The more you put it off, the, you, you, your happiness will just be further down. Don't put off obeying God. And the point is, Jonah's trouble began where most people's troubles start whenever they say no to the will of God. When you read in the Bible and study the Bible and understand what the Bible says, then do it. 
The amazing peace of God is available, but only to those that are submissive to God who have crucified self. Of these verses, let me just cite Psalm 119, 165. Those who love your law have great peace. Great, not just peace, but it's a superlative form of peace. It's peace that's overflowing, peace that's abounding, peace that Paul says, Philippians 4, will pass all understanding. Well, let's look at a fourth point real quick. Saying no to God will cost the serenity of the purpose of God. Why are you here? Have you ever wondered, why are you on earth? Why, are you, why were you ever born? <clears throat> Jonah tells you. God has a purpose for every life. And Jonah was unwilling to cooperate with the purpose of God. Failing to cooperate with the purpose of God, he had agitation, his soul was disquieted, he was uneasy, he was anxious. Jonah wanted to live life his own way. And he allowed his bad attitude to factor into his decision-making. He failed to accept the purpose of God in his life. There is a divine purpose in everybody's life. Each person is offered great opportunities to serve God. Each one of us will be challenged to relent and to slacken so that God's purpose for our life will be abandoned but God's purpose for an individual cannot be shrugged off. Look at what, what the Bible teaches. Psalm 57 and verse 2, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills His purpose in me. Isn't that amazing? God who fulfills His purpose in me. This is why you're here. This is why you were born. God has a purpose for you. Read the Bible, study it, understand it, and follow what the Bible says that we ought to do. There's a good news lesson at the end. And that good news lesson, very welcome. Jonah in chapter 2, he comes to his senses. In chapter 2, he prays to God and he repents, and God gives him another chance. We can also repent and resolve to change what we're doing in the present to anticipate a future that's far different than anything we've ever lived. And, and Romans six twenty one says that, sure, you'll be ashamed of things that you've done in the past. And who isn't? Who isn't ashamed of those past deeds? But you see, that's in the past. Because now, as, as uh, Psalm 25, 7 points out, God remembers our sins no more. A powerful message. It's so much more than a fish story. It's an urgent message about the great Lord God Almighty, and it's an emphatic lesson about how we are to accept God's commands in our lives. Remember Psalm 57, 2, I cry out to the Most High God, who fulfills his purpose for me. The book of Jonah, a powerful message. God is the commanding God whose authority cannot be replaced without severe consequences. God has a place for you. God has a purpose for you. And we need to follow that in our lives. So what will it cost you? If you want to say no to God, I don't want to follow it. It's going to cost you safety, security, satisfaction, and serenity. Three lessons real quick, and I'll just click through these. 
God commands everything in his creation from the weather to the, the sea creatures to the man. God's authority is universal. Our God is the God of the second chance. He heard me, Jonah said. He heard my prayer. He can hear your prayer. You turn to him. And the third one, it is an honor to serve our great God. Tomorrow night, Lord willing, we're going to look at Moses. And we'll talk about a survival strategy that we find while we're in the wilderness. And I hope that you'll come back and join us tomorrow night. I think Brother Bob's going to close us in a song. And he'll have a, an announcement about the... Uh, Lord's Supper.